Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kinda Libertarian. We're back. Episode number two, technically number four, but you're never going to hear the first two because, well, we're not that proud of them. Mike Turpin, what's up, brother? <laughs> what's up, man? How's it going? I'm doing good, man. It's springtime. It's nice outside. Getting some runs in without freezing my ass off. Mm. Do you like going for runs? Are you a big I runner? I fucking hate running. It's oh. the fucking worst. I hate it. I think it's boring. Um, I don't typically run that far, but I know that if I don't run a few times a week, it, within two weeks, I'm just like, oh, I can't, I can't run a mile anymore. You know? Right. Right. So, the trials and tribulations of getting old. Yeah. Hey, check this out. Let's okay. dive into this. Check out this headline. Texas Senate passes bill requiring teams with government contracts to play national anthem at games. I saw that, and my first reaction is, why? Why does it matter? I mean, do they do that with other companies they work with? Like, if, they're, mm. if, if, they're, if, if, the, if the Texas government is working with a food contractor, they're like, okay, before you start the day, you got to sing the national anthem. Yeah, and that is ridiculous. And, you know, I get the idea that, like, if you do a contract with somebody, there can be stipulations, but this is a government contract, which means taxpayers are footing the bill for it. So does that make it different? I don't know the answer to that question, but it really started, like, the more I thought about it, I'm like, this is just another example of, like, some conservative Republicans being like, look how fucking patriotic we are, and we're going to force you to do something that you may or may not want to do. Well, how fucking patriotic is that? It may, that makes, this is, this is a really interesting one. Um, it's just unnecessary. <laughs> like, I don't understand why that would be something that, so this is just in a contract and in, this is just a contractual thing. So it's like, not like, but in, yeah, that, that doesn't make sense at all. What would be the benefit? What would be the point of that? It's, it's exactly what you just said. Just like somebody just, trying to just be boastfully patriotic and making make a bizarre make a bizarre stand that the only thing man i don't relate to that at all well that's that that's tough for me it's so ironic because i guarantee you the guys that came up with this are all like free market i love free markets you know the freedom to freedom of speech freedom all this freedom and liberty stuff um but make sure that you you know, sing the national anthem and, you know, whatever, <laughs> sing the national anthem, the pledge, you know, pledge, do the pledge of the, you know, the pledge of allegiance. All this stuff is kind of weird, you know, like growing up, I had to do the pledge of allegiance every day. And I never thought about it as a kid, it's just what you do in school. And as I got older, you know, I started thinking, well, this is kind of weird. Like if you just take a step back, like I'm not, I'm not trying to be unpatriotic or anything. I, I, I love living in this country. I'm so fortunate to live in this country. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not trying to, to put down the idea of showing your, your, your love for, for your country. But when you think about, like, the Pledge of Allegiance, you say Pledge of Allegiance to a flag. Like, I don't pledge my allegiance to a flag. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, my allegiance is to my family. You know, if I was <laughs> religious, perhaps my God. Um, you know, I guess in some respects I can say, yeah, like, I've, I can pledge my allegiance to my country in certain situations, like if we're being attacked or something, but like to pledge my allegiance to a flag, you know, and, and some people say, well, you know, I, you know, our, our, our soldiers, whenever they fought, died for that flag, they didn't fucking die for a flag, a fucking flag. No, they didn't. 
Right. No, then when you break it down like that, I mean, just the opening line in that, it just sounds, it just sounds a little odd. If we didn't do that and somebody brought that up and that was the first line, like if we lived in a world where we didn't pledge allegiance to the flag and somebody's like, hey, by the way, I think we should start saying this thing every day in school. And then you'd make it one line in and be like, eh, that sounds a little bit like uh, some sort of dictatorship or some typical communist country. It doesn't sound like what you would think of when you think of American values, when you think of the types of things that, that America would also be proud of like you said that the hypocrisy in it is that do you think that is a law do you think schools is that a mandatory thing is it countywide statewide is it national i wonder what percentage of schools or if it's prominent in certain states more than others i mean where else is the pledge of allegiance even even done do you know of any other place so I think Boy Scouts did it. When I was a kid, I was in Boy Scouts. I mean, I had to do it in Boy Scouts. Um, yeah. did they? I don't know. Like, I don't know if they still do it in schools. Um, maybe they do in some schools. Maybe they don't. I'm pretty sure it's, it's, it's popular en- enough because uh, it's always the big issue as to whether or not um, isn't like um, One Nation Under God. Like, isn't that in there? Isn't God under the Pledge of Allegiance somewhere? Yeah. Um, so... I, that that's a hot topic that gets brought up a lot, but I mean, yeah, out, out of sight, out of mind. I don't ever hear the Pledge of Allegiance. I, I don't know if I, I guess I could make it through it if I started it. Just thinking but, that, I'm like, can yeah. I remember the Pledge of Allegiance? Ah, uh, God, do, do you want to try? <laughs> I, I'm thinking about it in my head. I'm like, I think I know this thing. Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which, for which it stands, one, one nation, nation under God. God. With liberty and justice for all. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. something indivisible or something. Oh, yeah, them. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a what great is- line in a, a Lou Reed song. He said, um, li- I think it was, or no, no, it was a Jello Biafra rant when he said, liberty and justice for all who can afford it. I was like, oh, yeah. Pretty fucking hard. <laughs> I like that. You know, uh, that whole thing sounds like, like excerpts from like the Old Testament. It's like, it just sounds dated when you break it down like that. And kids are saying that every day. I mean, it's probably, it probably just comes out of their mouth and they don't even know what they're saying. Like, I don't think there's a whole lot of influence on the average kid, but it's still kind of weird. Um, I never thought about that. When I recited as a kid, not once did I ever think about the words or what it meant or anything. I wasn't a smart kid. So maybe that's why, you know, I didn't think about it. I just kind of went along with the day. I don't know if kids actually ever think about it. I'm guessing not many. No, I don't think they think about it too much. I think most kids just mumble it and just hate it. And Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, maybe they do the national anthem. I don't think it's the Pledge of Allegiance. Maybe it is at Mission Barbecue every day at like noon. Have you ever been to Mission Barbecue? Was that there before you uh, moved? There's like a, there's a bunch of them in the area and they're getting bigger, but I imagine there's probably only like 15 of them, but they started in, in the Maryland, like Baltimore County area, somewhere around there. Um, and it knew it's a, it's a military linked thing. They do a lot of stuff for like veteran stuff. And I think they do a lot of job, jo- like they offer jobs a lot, I think to, to post military or military related oh, cool. people. They do a lot of, a, a lot of good things. 
But I do know that that's like a part of the thing every day they do that. But you know what the, no, see, I don't, I like that. I, I respect it in that this is what you want to do. This is your place of business. This is what you want to represent. Mm-hmm. Do it. A contract that anybody should have to do anything like that is, is, is not only is it bizarre, it seems, it almost seems illegal. It yeah. almost seems like that should be illegal. It kind of does. I mean, again, we know why it was done. It wasn't done for any purpose. I mean, if you think about what lawmakers are dealing with right now, whether it's post COVID or the economy or immigration or all these things that are big deals, they took the time out of their day to do this. Come on, man. Yeah. Seriously? Exactly. It just doesn't, it's just, what's the point of doing it? What, why are you focusing your energy on that? What would happen if somebody didn't do that? And who really cares? What would happen if somebody didn't play the national anthem at a ball game? <laughs> Who really cares? If a sport announced that they were no longer going to do the national anthem at the top of an event, it would probably cause a huge, huge, it would be gigantic. I mean, yeah. think about the taking the knee during mm-hmm. the net. That, that's what I think is so funny. We, we live in a country mm-hmm. where we have, we have eras where punk rock is so cool and it's so cool to be rebellious but there's like a time and place for it. Like almost everybody can bang their head to a rage against the machine song. But if somebody wants to take a kneel, take a knee during the national anthem for some reason, then they are just the scum of the earth, you know, know. biggest dirt bag ever. Yeah. It was, that whole thing was just so bizarre. It was like, I remember when it happened and I wasn't surprised to see people get so upset about it. But if you think about it, if you really break it down, at least from my point of view, to me, it's so much more patriotic to do what he did than it is to say, you have to sing the national anthem. I mean, he's saying, look, there are American citizens that are fucking dying and no one's doing anything about it. You know, I need to make a statement. I mean, isn't that what, I mean, think about like the, the, the history of the country, at least in terms of like when white people came here and started this country, you know, it was all about, you know, giving the proverbial middle finger to the monarchy. Right. Right. So the, you know, the powers. And so that's what Colin Kaepernick did. But I, but that, because, you know, it ruffled some feathers, then people said, Oh, he's not patriotic. And, you know, and it was, it was, uh, um, he was a horrible person. And the fact that he's still not playing to this day, come on, man, he's one of the best quarterbacks, you know, in the past 10 years. Why is he playing? You know, why he's not playing? Yeah, I, got, I mean, listen, I, I don't know the guy. I got respect for him for sticking up and sticking up for his his ideals and his beliefs. And um, I got no problem with him. I got more problem with someone telling someone they have to sing the national anthem than I do with that guy taking a knee. And, you know, the weird thing about the national anthem, too, or just any stuff like that, like the Pledge of Allegiance or national anthem, is they also do I think they do the pledge at like city council meetings. Because when I lived in Baltimore, I used to go to some of the city council meetings. Um, and the one weird thing they did, too, was they would do a prayer. And now, to me, was like, this is inappropriate. And they would start it with a prayer. And people would stand up, and they would do the prayer. And one, I, I think I stood up the first time, and then I was just like, I don't like this. I don't, if you want to pray, that's fine. Do it on your own fucking time. You don't need to do it here. Wait, but so, did, I, was I said, it like a memorized prayer? No, I don't, I, I don't think so. I, if I remember correctly, I only went to a few of them, but every time I think it may have been a different prayer or something close to right. the prayer. Um, but I didn't stand up one time. I just sat there and I overheard someone behind me. He's like, 
that boy doesn't want to stand up. He's just, he's just trying to prove, I don't know. She, she's, I, I just remember saying that boy doesn't want to stand up or something like, and I just sat there and I'm just like, yeah, so what do you yeah. care? <laughs> you know, it's like, God. I don't, I'm not religious. This means nothing to me. I'm here because I want to find out, you know, what's going on in the city, you know, in terms of, you know, what's happening with crime and what's happening with these redevelopment zones and stuff. That's why I was there. Not to say a fucking prayer. You know, if you want to say a prayer, you can do it anytime. You, if, you, if you're, that's the weird thing too. When you talk about saying pledge allegiance in school and people talk about prayer in school and some people say, well, we need more prayer in school. Dude, you can pray anytime you want. You yeah. can sit there and close your eyes and pray if you want. The fact that you don't need someone to like lead prayer in school. And now if you want to go to a, a religious school, you know, a Catholic school, whatever, that's part of the curriculum, that's fine. But we're talking about public yeah. school, that's tax dollar money. I don't know, man. It's a slippery slope. I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of the more we talk about it. It's like, I'm not a fan of the prayer thing. I'm not a fan of the pledge allegiance thing. I mean, I, I don't, I don't really, I don't see any value in it. it. It's a distraction and it gets people riled up and rallying behind something that, that is almost, it's so unimportant that it doesn't matter what side of the argument wins. You know, it doesn't even it doesn't even have really much of an effect outside of just making very little sense when somebody is condemned over it one way or the other. I don't know what I think about doing it on a mass level. Like it would be weird, I guess, if all of if, if schools just randomly started saying, hey, we're not going to do this. What, what do they do? Do they just say would they just say, okay, we might continue to do the Pledge of Allegiance, but you don't have to say it. You don't have to stand up for it. So then you have kids are forced to form opinions about whether or not they want to do something. Like, what, what do you think? How do you handle that when something's been going on that, for instance, you don't feel that strongly? That, or, or, I mean, you, you definitely don't feel strongly for the idea of this being a part of school, right? The Pledge of Allegiance. So what would your then solution be, you think? Well, I don't, I think that may be the case now because I do remember a while back, maybe five or six years ago, I remember reading an article about some, some state, I don't know, it was like Alabama or something where someone didn't want to stand up and say the pledge and they got suspended. And I think this ACLU got involved and they say you can't force someone to say the pledge. So um, again, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm sure that that's a case that a lawyer can win saying you don't have to stand up and say the pledge. Um, but you know, when I think about like the pledge, the time, the time that people devote to like saying the pledge or wanting to have prayer in school, it's funny to me that that would be their priority. When I look at schools now and I'm like, they're not getting, they're not getting phys ed classes like they used to. They're not getting outside. They're not getting exercise. Gee, I wonder why I have an obesity problem. Well, it doesn't help that they go to the cafeteria, eat fucking sugary foods all day and have no phys ed at all. And then they go home and watch, you know, video, play video games. So I'd rather see phys ed, more, more phys ed classes or get it back as opposed to saying the pledge or, or prayer. Or how about this? How about we get, um, bring back funding for arts and music? Very, very important for the development of, of growing minds. Or how about this? Why don't we start teaching foreign languages at a younger age like they do in every other fucking country in the world? So when I go overseas, I don't feel like an asshole because I only know how to say, where's the bathroom, you know, whenever country I'm in because, you know, I didn't start learning a foreign language until I was in college. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, what, what you're saying is right. You're, you're looking at what the obvious problems are. I don't think that there's an obvious problem with 
whether or not you say the the pledge i, I don't see the effect I, I, there's a there's a grand effect of not knowing foreign language and then having no respect for the notion of foreign language mm -hmm. like because you don't learn it at a young age because it's not emphasized it's there's just no respect for a what it takes to learn one and and b just the notion of trying to learn one it just kind of it really mm -hmm. messes with the way people see it in this country you know in a totally different way than than any other country probably oh, yeah. i mean i i get how somebody could make an argument to not bend over backwards and accommodate for other languages and certain things or prioritize other languages or whatever but at the end of the day it's not like you can just expect somebody to learn a language that they you know didn't grow up learning in any way it's very difficult to take yeah. one on so having that experience and then i mean there's got to be a huge intelligence edge just in addition to learning a second language that may or may not come in handy i mean talk about i bet you the types if you did studies that there are things that would come from that skill there you would test the kids who grew up learning a second language throughout elementary school they're going to do better in something at some point in time test wise in high school i'm sure that instills some sort of values in you as a kid study wise i'm 100%, sure 100 percent. and there's um not only from just respecting that you know the only country in the world is not the united states uh you know there, there actually is proof that if you learn a language a, for, a second language at a young age it's much easier for you to learn other foreign languages as you get older which so a, a few people I know that started early, they speak multiple languages, you know, three, four languages. Wow. I know, right? I have a friend who speaks eight different languages and not just like easy one, you know, he speaks fucking Mandarin, you know, and, and uh, Russian. It's like, it's not just, oh, I learned Spanish and French. <laughs> not that they're easy, but I'm just yeah. saying like, you know, you know he, um, he speaks a lot of tough languages. I will have to say though, that one advantage to not speaking a foreign language was, I used it as an excuse many years ago to meet this German girl a german exchange student and i was like i'd love to learn german they really didn't care but she was right really hot, right um and it's funny because i ended up dating her for a little bit beautiful beautiful girl and uh and it's i was it's funny we're talking about it. i was just thinking about this the other day because a friend of uh, this this girl i dated many years ago um reached out to me on facebook um hey how you doing i haven't seen you in a while and we were talking and um and i remember she so i remember dating her this is a really interesting story. I'll, I'll try to make it fast. You're so good. I remember dating her and she was Jewish. I haven't, I, I, you know, I'm Jewish, but I haven't dated a lot of Jewish girls. For, not for any particular reason. It's just, it's just kind of how it turns out. I, you know, I just like women. I don't really care where the fuck they come from. Right. Um, and I remember she was like, everything about her was, was like, any decision she made was based on whether or not someone or something was anti-Semitic or could be, indirectly related to anti-Semitism. So it was really bizarre. So I remember, you know, when you date someone and you start talking about, you know, other relationships you've had and all that kind of stuff. So she, we were talking about that. I said, oh yeah, there's this one girl I dated, this girl, Annika, and she was from um, Germany. Um, and I, she was great. You know, we had a, we had a, a short-lived relationship, but we were always friends and everything. And it, it was funny, as soon as I said Germany, she's like, oh, Germany, really? Like I could tell, like she was bothered by the fact that she, she was German, right? And and she kind of like half jokingly said, um, "Was she like a Nazi or something?" Like tee hee. Like I'm like, 
well, that was like, you know, a very long time ago. Like Nazis aren't really a thing anymore. <laughs> you know, like we won that war, you know, like that got dismantled. Um, so it's kind of joking about it. But then I said, interestingly enough, her grandfather did make tools for the Nazis. Dude, she lost her mind. She's like, you, you dated someone whose grandfather was a Nazi? Oh I was like, God. well, look, first of all, I don't think he was a Nazi. I think what happened was they came to his house. They're like, okay, you can make tools for the Nazi, for, you know, for our soldiers, or you can die. You know what I mean? He's probably like, hmm, let me weigh my options. Yeah, I think I'll live. So I'll make tools. Yeah, cool. We'll do that. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah. it wasn't that cut and dry. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and she's, like, she's like, still like, she's like, how, you know, that's, that's just so disgusting. Like, how could you do that? It just really pissed her off. I said, well, she was really hot and she let me have sex with her. So <laughs> and she goes, and she goes, she goes, that's disgusting. I said, what the sex part of the Nazi part? She's like the Nazi part. <laughs> oh, dude. Uh, there, yeah. That's an interesting one. People get hung up on things so easily. I want to make it work with people like that. A lot of times where it's just like, you know, I like you. I get that you generalize certain things or you hyper-focus on one thing, but it's like, if you're going to get that hung up about somebody's grandparent, it's like, who are you? Who is your family? Do you not have a racist uncle? Do you not have somebody oh, yeah, that's like, yeah. you, you don't have friends that, that drive drunk and put other people's lives at risk all the time. You don't you just, everybody you're, uh, you're attached to is, is, cut from a holy cloth I know. <laughs> you know that one drives me nuts man because there's inevitable hypocrisy in it whether or not it's specific to anti-semitism like there's definitely some sort of hypocrisy when it comes to <clears throat> suggesting that you should shun or hate or have prejudice against somebody for such an odd reason right is there even like lingering anti? Is the, do you think that there's much lingering anti-Semitism in Germany? I, I visited Germany, Berlin, and like the not that you just expect to see people that are outwardly about everything. It just did not seem like the type of place that would be so like prejudiced. It just didn't seem like a place that had much. I mean, it exists. It's still there, yeah. but they're very like. The German government is very, like, they don't fuck around with that shit. So at a very young age in school, you learn about, uh, you learn about the concentration camps. You learn about World War II. And, and they learn at a young age so they can, I guess, know the truth. You know, so if you compare it to here, so like when I was in high school, we learned that the Indians were savages. You know what I mean? It's just like, right. that's not really how it worked. But anyway, um, so yeah, they have some pretty restrictive laws. Like if you even like throw up a, Heil Hitler sign or something like they'll fucking arrest you like they don't fuck around with that shit they're like wow. we're not yeah it's no joke man um they don't they don't fuck around with that shit at all and it's weird because uh you know it's it, every country is entitled to its its own deal you know um and maybe it's different because it happened in Germany but I know that in this country I had a conversation with a friend of mine who is um I was telling her that it was a while ago there's somebody had a uh, German it was like a World War II German imperialist flag or something it's basically like a nazi flag it wasn't that far from my house and they had to just like swing it in the wind and i was telling her about it she's like that should be illegal you know that they shouldn't be able to put that up and it's funny because to me as a jew i'm offended by that but i don't think it should be illegal it's like if you want to put that flag up fucking go ahead in fact i prefer it because now i know like who the nazis are exactly <laughs> i mean like this way i know who not to fuck with and who i want to fuck with you know 
Yeah, because what what do you just want people to hold their views in secrecy then? It's it's I doubt it's going to like spread like wildfire. Like if you go into a hip progressive town or you know or, or city and and you hang a Confederate flag out in your front stoop, it's not like all of a sudden in a week 20 people are going to have them or it's like people it's going to spread. It's just people are going to know that you're a person that supports that and they're just going to judge you. And more than likely in that area, in that demographic, it's not going to go over well. It's not even like some power you have over somebody more than likely it's going to get vandalized one night or, or, you know, stolen or burnt or whatever anyway. But yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, obviously I don't know what I think about the idea of like, being able to just maybe hang certain signs at your, I, I don't know what, what I think about like, Oh, if I could just put like a swastika out on my front porch or something, I get how that, that, that might not be a good idea, right? but I don't know what, what, it, what negative effect it really has as far as like, that's worth strong legality you can wear like clothing and stuff that aligns you to that stuff. Right. And that, it, I don't know. I mean, there's no law against it. You, I mean, I think that maybe if you own a business and you know, if I owned a, a, a bagel shop, you know, and some dude comes in with a fucking swastika shirt on, I'd be like, yo, you gotta go, you know, cause it's my business. Yeah. I want you here. Um, but like, just you're walk- walking into a bagel shop with a with a <laughs> yeah, you're just asking for trouble yeah, right wrong, no, actually come on in place. let me serve you a bagel right i'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna fucking piss in it you know yeah <laughs> special lemon flavored uh cream cheese on there uh, look at the balls on that guy I, walking into a bagel know, shop right? with a swastika come on <laughs> can you imagine that <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah I don't know, man it's it's you know like i said i'm, I'm a big believer in the, in the first amendment and and just it's not always going to be easy to take. I mean, it's, it's not, the first amendment wasn't designed. So you're going to like everything that, that people say or wear, you know, sometimes you're not going to like shit. That doesn't mean you can't, you get to tell them what to do or what to wear, or what to put on, on their home if they own their home. Yeah. You know? So about, about patriotism, about this notion of the national anthem, the pledge of allegiance and all that, I guess a, a question that, that I, I'm curious of, where do you think most or is there any sort of distinct uh allegiance among libertarians as far as where do you think most libertarians would stand on topics like that do you think most are are a little bit more laxed on being adamant about hardcore patriotism oh yeah i think i i well whatever hardcore patriotism is i mean i guess it's hard to define but i don't know any yeah. libertarians that would um, back any situation where a person would be forced to recite a pledge or sing a national anthem. I mean, just in theory, that w- it wouldn't make sense. Now, that's not to say some wouldn't, um, but it, it, it's kind of like you're kind of a poser. You know, if you're like, I'm right. a libertarian, but you have to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Really? Yeah, no, it's good because it finds something, you know, all this talk about how, di- how, how strong of a divide and how different and, and how hard it is to define libertarianism. It's nice to find something that seems a bit universal that, that I, I think most libertarians would probably agree to each their own with things like that. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that big of a deal one way or the other. And that would probably be pretty, like you said, unified across the border. It would be pretty odd if you were a libertarian and overly concerned whether or not somebody did the national anthem at a sporting event. Me, maybe, maybe if you were some like you would have, it would probably take like a strong connection to the military or something to really push you in that direction. Mm -hmm. I think to fall under that, that's, that's definitely something that I is probably pretty common among libertarians would just be, yeah, that that's too much. That's not the type of patriotism or that, that strong blind patriotism or not being able to think critically about it and just being forced into this position is not, is not what this country is about. Mm -hmm. Well, it kind of reminds me of, you know, when I was a kid, my mom used to tell me before I'd go out, she would always say, ask yourself this question, would my mom be okay with what I'm about to do? <laughs> you know? And she would put that in my head, like, not that, she, not that I always thought about it, but it was funny that she would always say that to me. I kind of feel the same way about libertarianism. It's kind of like, ask yourself this question, you know, um, is what you're doing or not doing hurting anybody? No? Okay, so what's the problem? Right. I mean, that's yeah. just, I see it. I mean, it, it isn't most people I know that are libertarian are kind of like, look, I just want to be left the fuck alone, you know, and like you do your thing, I'll do mine and we'll get along fine. I'm not going to hurt anybody. You don't hurt me. We're good. Like that's always been to me. It's kind of been like the, the basic understanding. Um, but again, you know, why did we start kind of libertarian? Well, because we kind of figured out that not every person who is libertarian really um, embraces the, the philosophy of, of what it means to be a, a libertarian. And maybe I don't either. I, I probably don't, you know, because there are certain situations where I don't have the, have a problem with, um, with a government being involved in certain things where some libertarians be like, well, that's, you know, against the basic fundamentals of libertarianism. Okay. Fair enough. You know, I, I mean, I think about that in terms of the environmentalism. I'm not really a big fan of mandates in term in, in ways to, um, integrate things like clean energy or, or electric cars or things like that. I don't like the idea of mandates in any respect. Um, but I, I haven't seen a situation where for the most part, companies do the right thing when it comes to just taking care of the planet and the soil and the air and the water. And how do you keep say like a big industrial agriculture operation from poisoning the Mississippi? You know, I mean, I don't know if those regulations are necessarily the best way to do it. I, w- I think there probably are better ways to do it. Um, I-, I think property rights is something you can look at in that respect. You know, if you get all this stuff, if you put all these, these um, all this nitrogen to the Mississippi and it kills all these fish, well, you know, who, who owns the Mississippi? You know, I, I suppose the taxpayers do. So you're degrading something that the taxpayers own. So you owe me, you're destroying something that, that i I'm part owner of. Now, I, I don't know how you would integrate that. Um, so right now we just have, you know, we have regulations in place. And again, I think it sucks that we have to have regulate. I think we, we can be better than that. But I don't know, man. What do you think? Like, I don't, how do you do, like, how do you, how do you approach these things? Because honestly, I know people who are libertarian that are just like, hey, you know, they're, it's supply and demand. Like, you know, they, they need to get cheap food out and that's what they do. And that's just what happens. Well, yeah, okay, I get that. But as, what's the end result? It's like, okay, you're getting cheap food, but you're, you're, taking, uh, you're taking value away from other people, whether it be fish or clean yeah. water 
or soil that you can like, you know, grow things on 10 years from now because it's not all depleted of its nutrients. There's a lot of things to consider. It's a bigger picture than just, you know, moving money from point A to point B. Yeah, no, what do, what, well, I think you, you brought up an interesting point right there. It's like, what effect does this have? So like, if you're, if you're producing some sort of commodity, you're producing some sort of essential thing, but it's causing a great amount of damage. Like you're saying with, you know, whether or not you're getting a cleaner energy, um, the just in environmental awareness, trying to, to create laws for things like that. It, it's, it sucks because I, I just fall back to the point where I feel like most people create laws when it benefits something greater than the benefit of the law. The politicians, the, 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 there is some sort of tie almost always to some company whether see I, I don't know it's I wish I could give better examples but I'm just always a little weary about why they make the law in addition to the morality of it all just like for instance do we go to war to end a, a crazy dictator or do we do it because we might be able to benefit from this interaction in some way well, we and answer that question. <laughs> yeah. So if that's the answer to that question, I'm that pessimistic, skeptic sort of person, not necessarily over the top conspiracy person, but I'm always like, well, what is this really about? And it goes back to like, I'm all about trying to find a way to preserve and accommodate our, not just humans, you know, it, it's, so we take a step back from patriotism and now we see all humans and then we take a step back from that. We see all living things and we take a step back from that and we see the earth, you know, and that, that's the widest scope maybe to have is to weigh how everything affects everything, how we affect the trees, how we affect the, the quality of our air, how we affect, um, so much, so much just whether it's the pollution or, or whatever it is, or different gases getting in the air, um, just the risks. I mean, how much of a risk is it to be like, I live right by APG, Aberdeen Proving Grounds. Like how, how big of a risk is some of the stuff that we have in these places that could just get out? Like, I don't know if that's the case here, but Peach Bottom, not that far from me, has a lot of stuff that I, I guess toxic is the word for it like so people don't know so anyone listen doesn't know peach bottom is a nuclear power plant and yeah that's i should say nuclear uh yeah. stuff like that so when when that kind of stuff when you have that whatever purpose it's serving is it even worth the purpose it's serving knowing knowing the given risk i think about that kind of stuff when i'm thinking about and when i'm thinking about like like trying to have a humane or, or just sort of ethical view. And yeah, I do think obviously if our government's going to step in for anything, that's as good of any topic to step in on. Unfortunately, I don't know. Historically, the, the types of people who get involved in this thing, it's just kind of like a crock of shit. Like, do, do you think Al Gore is a is a is a is an honorable spokesperson of his cause do you think he lives and breathes environmentalism 
I think he does, but he doesn't, he doesn't uh, lead by example. That's he doesn't lead by example. That's what I mean to say. Yeah, yeah. Does he lead by example? Did Arnold Schwarzenegger lead by example when he was saying some of the things he was saying about that sort of thing and then driving around in the Hummer? It's just like the, it reminds me of the COVID. It's like the, the, the same cities in the same areas where you have these people who are adamantly trying to say that you should always wear your masks, always social distance, always do this. They're the ones getting caught at these parties and nobody's willing to, to lead by example. Mm-hmm. That, that's probably one of the worst things that you could have is just so outwardly and obviously not leading by example because that is a form of leading by example. So others don't need to do what they think is right. Right. So let's back up a little bit though because you mentioned thing about like, you know, if the government needs to come in and regulate certain situations, we talk about energy and, um, and I, I can speak to this because I worked as an energy analyst for, for about 10 years. So um, when we think about oil, okay, which is oil is primarily used for transportation, um, transportation fuel. So sometimes people want to compare it to solar wind. It's not the same thing. You have utility scale power and transportation fuels. Oil is primarily used as a transportation fuel. So then we have these things called electric cars, which are far, are far superior in terms of like their efficiency and they're, and they're cleaner. Even if they were to get all their power from coal, which does not happen anywhere anymore because coal is, has lost about 15 to 20% of its market share over the past 10 years. So even in that situation, the amount of um, energy expelled in an electric car is, uh, is less than that of an internal combustion vehicle. In other words, you know, when you put, you put gas in a car, only is, I think, something like maybe 20, 25% of that energy is remaining that actually moves the car. The rest is wasted, as opposed to an electric vehicle where it's something like 90%. So, but, but my, I'm going to get a point a little bit here, but we talk about why these things exist. We have internal combustion vehicles that have been around for a long time. That technology is, is, is antiquated and it's been antiquated for many years. We've had the ability to do this. We haven't moved forward in changing it because politics, the oil industry, why would the oil industry do anything to you know, risk the internal combustion engine? That's the bread and butter. So we talk about what does it cost when they say like um, for electric vehicles, we had the, the uh, tax credit. It was like $7,500 national uh, federal tax credit if you buy an electric car. So people went fucking crazy over that. Like, this is bullshit. Why should they get a special tax credit? Well, how much money does it cost, okay, to produce oil anywhere in the world and use oil to, as, a, as a transportation fuel to move our vehicles? Not only the damage that you do to the environment, which, I mean, there have been studies on this that says trillions of dollars worth of uh, damage to natural capital, which is things like, you know, the, the um, water and, and, and plant life and the, the, um, the movement of, uh, uh, not the movement, the uh, basically like anything that we need to live is natural capital, okay? We destroy the natural capital when we pollute it. In addition to that, which again, it could be trillions of dollars worth of damage, how much does it cost to protect the shipping lanes to move oil? Because Exxon doesn't have their own security force. You know what I mean? They have, well, they do. It's called the United States Navy. And the Navy's out there protecting those shipping lanes, right? Who's paying for that? That is an indirect subsidy that we are paying. Or how many wars or how many situations have we been in from a national security standpoint um, where our enemies have been funded by oil money. 
there are a lot of a lot of hands in this pot here so to yep. say that well it's a free market and you know oil is cheap and we should keep drilling well why because you've been doing it for 100 years because exxon or whatever oil company says we're not giving this shit up and i get it like it's self-preservation for them but as a person who gives a shit about the planet, as a person who doesn't like to be taxed to death, and as definitely as a person who doesn't want my tax dollars going to, you know, to make sure that, you know, oil companies can make a shit ton of money every year because they don't, you know, they don't have to pay, uh, well, they're, they're heavily subsidized across the world anyway, uh, in, a, in a number of different ways. I guess my point is, it, you know, the government has facilitated all this. So when we talk about the government stepping in to clean up the environment, but wait a minute, you know, the government made it so that these companies could pollute the environment. And so it's another example of how maybe if the government just would have stayed back, you know, and say, okay, fine. If you want to produce oil in this field, you can buy the, you can buy the property because right now an oil company will lease that property, which means that they're leasing it. They don't own it. So they can completely foul it up 30 years later. Okay. We leased it. We're done. The government now owns it, you know, still owns it and the taxpayers on the hook for cleaning it up. And you just destroy it all. For, you know, they got their money, and we're we're stuck with like it's almost like you have a house, and you rent that house out to a bunch of fucking meth addicts for twenty years, and you got the money from them, right? You got you got your rent, but after twenty years, the place has got black mold, dead bodies, whatever. You know what I mean? And you're stuck right. with thing of a, a, a liability at that point. And all of this has been facilitated by government intervention. You know, it's a hell of a lot easier to have a strong opinion on whether or not you should take a knee in a football game than to figure out how to clean up this mess. And I think that is the biggest problem in politics. We just would rather, I think the people are too caught up on the simple, like the low hanging fruit of issues because the stuff like you're presenting is so deep in corruption it's so deep in undoing it's hard you this is not we're not one step away from fixing what you just said this is layers and layers of of something that you would have to undo or figure out and there would be many 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 forms of resistance along the way but step one would be getting everybody on board and realizing what you're saying right like it would have to like try to find a way to get through to people i don't mean to keep bringing up al gore because you know he he might as it's that that's like saying uh caitlin jenner is the spokesperson of trans people you know it's just it's right. just not it doesn't do them uh justice but that 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 documentary that almost that michael moore style of like outing things it would probably take a lot of that sort of thing popularized culture revolving around it mm -hmm. uh, maybe other countries leading the way uh, when other countries do it when more when more countries start doing it then maybe we would follow suit but i feel like we're just a bit behind the curve and we we don't care to take a deep look into anything like you just said mm -hmm. And it, it's sad because, I mean, I didn't know every single thing that you said, but I mean, I had a hunch. I knew enough to know that was pretty much the case, that it's just tough that, that there are, that there's tax money involved. There's big businesses involved. It's, it's bigger than just what is the right thing to do. And for the government, this goes back to, like I was saying, for the government to 
do something about it. It doesn't need to be the right thing to do for the world. It doesn't need to be the right thing to do for people in general. It doesn't even need to be the right thing to do for the people in this country. So even scaling back to a, a very ethical, patriot, patriotic sort of view, it only has to, to play benefit to them, their party, their mm -hmm. voters, right? That's who you pander to. You get the votes right. and then you play to the, the people that, that have their hand up your ass. And, 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 and here's the problem. As voters, we trivialize. I think, well, I would say we. I would say conservatives, mostly conservatives and Republicans, and to, to some effect, many libertarians, trivialize the value of the environment. So anytime you bring up something that's even remotely relevant to clean air or clean water or cleaner energy infrastructure, the immediate response is liberal, socialism, that kind of thing. And we buy into it. I mean, even I love stand-up comedy. I mean, it's like one of my favorite things to do is sit and watch YouTube for hours just watching stand-ups. I love it. And there are a lot of comedians that will make fun of environmentalists. And I'm an environmentalist and I think a lot of their jokes are fucking funny and I laugh because I get it. It's a joke. Right. The problem is there's a lot of people that be like, yeah, you know, they, they like, they don't understand that it's a joke and, and they, they play along, you know, and then they hear, you know, whatever Republican it may be saying something similar, mocking environmentalism. And in, in all fairness, Democrats aren't like, they're not doing anything great for the environment either. You know, it's like they claim to be more environmentally aware than Republicans, but it's like you said, lead by example. I've seen, how many Democrats in office are always talking about climate change? How many have an electric car? Two, if yeah. we're lucky, you know? Or how many of them buy their food from a local organic farm instead of an industrial no. agriculture? You know, again, lead by example. That's why I don't fucking believe any of these guys. You know what I mean? Like, right. you know, even more so, I get more upset, I think, at liberal Democrats because they're talking a good game, but they don't live up to it. I don't, ex I don't expect Ted Cruz to wake up one morning and be like, I care about climate change. I know he's a dick, okay? I know he doesn't care. And, you know, he's just getting paid to, to do that. I get it. I know what I'm dealing with with that guy. But, yeah. you know, with Democrats, you know, they're always quick to talk about climate change when they're trying to get elected. And then they say, well, this is what we're going to do, you know, to, to make sure that, you know, we can clean up the environment. And it, what, it is, what is it always, always boiled down to? It's like more tax dollars, more government mandates. Again, yeah. I, I would be the happiest person if you could, if, if every, that would be the rule, okay? So from now on, any lawmaker that says that, that climate change is an issue, they have to have an electric car, like right now. Get yourself an electric car and all your food has to come from a local organic farm. Those two things. If you don't do those two things, then you're full of shit. You're no better than Ted Cruz. Exactly. No, because what are you doing? You're just pandering to the people and not to what you believe in. And you're not standing up for what you believe in. Leading by example, it, it, makes, it makes obvious sense. You, sh you should 100% be that way. I, I, I've had this conversation many times. And it's funny you brought up like uh, the, the hyper liberal people who want to crucify everybody for doing every single thing. And like, I have some very outspoken 
vegan friends who claim xyz it's like dude talk to me when you stop flicking your cigarette butts in the street <laughs> talk to me when you stop doing that then we'll have a conversation right, about right. it i don't care i don't respect your way you don't follow suit i don't have any respect for your views if you don't live by them they are not your views tell me what's really going on right like that that's how i see it I, I think that way about a lot of things. You got to be careful the types of people you're going to crucify. You got to be careful. Like, like that. it's just inevitably hypocritical. And I get it when you don't have a, a, a fucking thing going for you, right? I, I get that you can't seem to string together the energy and the means to be the person who's buying the right sourced foods that's doing all this, or maybe you can't really live up to being the person that you feel like you're supposed to be because you just can't do shit. You know, you're just stuck in your bedroom, depressed, not, not even able to find a job, whatever. But these people that are high up in politics, number one, why did you get into politics? if not to stand up for these things that you feel like need change and you want to be that role that, that people can sort of be inspired by. What, why did you get into politics? And now that you have the means, now that you probably have the money, you clearly have the reason for it. Like, hey, I know a lot of people that, that are potheads, but when they get the job where they get drug tested, they're no longer potheads, dude. Like, this is your job. This is your life. You're a politician that is lobbying for the notion of, 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 of green energy, whatever, all these sorts of things. And then you're out doing what? It makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, it's just, it, it goes down to what their... Um like you said, what's their motivation? And even if they are legitimately concerned about those things, it, it, um, it, it, like you were talking about respect, I can't really respect someone who talks about things that they want to do. Well, I don't say respect them, but it's like, you can't take those people seriously. Like, I want to do this, I want to do that, but you never actually make an effort to do it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you know, being, I know how many bands I had been in my life and, and all the you know, all the shitty music I made and like all the things I did. And, you know, it's like, I wanted to be a musician. So I just, I made it happen, you know, and it's, it's the truth for anything. And so if someone comes up, who's, I, you know, I remember this one guy after I got off the road and I, and I moved on and started doing the analysis thing, this guy's like, Oh, he's like, oh, so you're, you're back, you're back in the, in finance. I said, yeah. He's like, Oh, the, uh, the music thing didn't work out, huh? I was like, Fuck you, I'm like, first of all, it did work out because for six years I fucking toured and made money doing what I love, shared the stage with some really awesome uh, musicians who I've admired for years. I've toured, I put out records, video, you know what I mean? It's just like, fuck you. What have you done? You know, it's like, yeah. imagine, imagine you're at the gym, right? And you're rolling and like some, some dude comes walking in who's like, I don't know, just like the dude that works at, at Whole Foods who's, you know proud to be a vegan and comes in he's like hey dude your arm bar is all, all it's wrong like you you gotta do like what the fuck are you dude, talking about i got that the other day i got that the other day i i had a my last tournament i hit three chokes that are this doesn't really matter for, for it's just a way of pinning somebody and basically crushing the air in their lungs so they can't inhale so instead of windpipe choking somebody instead of cutting off both carotid arteries you're compressing their lungs and you're pinning them in a way where they can't catch a breath in and the more energy they're using the more oxygen they're burning up 
trying to escape, the harder it is. And if you time this pin when somebody's already tired, I mean, they need that breath of air. They can, they, they, some of them can barely survive with the full breath of air, let alone a quarter breath of air, whatever. So it doesn't even need to be a full choke. And, and I posted this, these videos and this one guy who I know who owns a school tagged this, this other person. So it's like a string of, of things. But so this owner of a school who's a jujitsu black belt, judo black belt, loves this choke. And he saw me do it. He tagged a guy who I guess is adamantly against this choke or, or doesn't think it should work or whatever. And he goes, hey, my, my friend, uh, Mike Turpin, hit this choke three times in the ad advanced expert division. You know, this guy right here is a black belt who owns a school. This guy's this. Like, what do you have to say about it? And he goes, well, it shouldn't work. And if he tried that on a Jujoka, they would just do this. And he like drew arrows on a picture showing me the way I could get bridged across the body. And like, and by the way, it's like the most rudimentary like analysis of, of applying physics and leverage. Like I would never make it to where I am in jujitsu if I didn't know that somebody could potentially bridge me in the direction that he pointed. Right. So like, it was just so stupid. It was a dismissal of anything I might know. It was a dismissal of what I might be doing and the ways I can make this choke work that, that you don't think it would. And I told him, I was like, I was like, Hey, you know, it's very easy to see what might work, but it's extremely humbling to find out what will. Mm -hmm. You know, anybody can watch a fighter, a boxer and be like, he's fighting with his hands down. He's got his chin up. He's got this. Yeah. You know, easier said than done. Remember that go in the cage, close the door and keep your, keep your hands up, keep your chin down. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Have fun out there slugger. Go get him. You're going <laughs> to kill that guy. Look, he's got his hands down. Dude, it's always like that, man. We were talking about that last week it was like some people that love, you know, watch sports and they think they, you know, they know everything. And they're like, why didn't he do that? Or why didn't he, you know, do this? If he would have done this, this would have happened. I'm like, what the fuck uh, do you know? Like, again, it's like, unless you do it, you know, unless you actually do it and, and you have some expertise in it, it's like, you can say what you want, but like, I'm not going to take it seriously. Yeah. You know, man, it's, uh, I go back to, I talk to my buddy a lot about things. He theorizes about a lot of things and he, he's in his own head all day. And it's like, I don't like to just think about things. I like to do them. I, at the very least, I, I want to be active and have a more physical approach to my life. I like to be involved and experience the things that I think about. I like to see things through. And I'm that person. It's like, you know, you got to live the experience of being in a band. It's like, what's the end game? You could have been 20. There are bands that are 20 times more successful than, than dog fashion disco was, right? And they still break up and those members still get normal jobs. And that guy could still look at that guy and say, hey, I guess that band thing didn't work out. And then like we talked about money. Well, what do right. you, just because one band made more money, do you think they had more fun than dog fashion disco did? Probably <laughs> fucking not, you know? <laughs> Nine out of 10 bands, even if they were making more money or had more success in some way. I mean, I've, I saw bands all the time. To have the cult following you guys did, where everybody who was there, that was their favorite band. You were the type of band where that 
that was people's favorite band. That was, that stood out where it could be somebody's favorite thing to be involved in. And the, the people just don't know the balls it takes to be that different, to go out there and, and lay it all on the line, to be criticized the way that you're criticized for, for following a life and following your dreams. And, and they can just dismiss it with one fucking sentence. And they didn't even ask you, hey, did you, did you, well, did you at least like doing it? Did you have fun? You know, are you happy now? They're just looking for that negative thing. I don't know if you know the name Daniele Bellelli, but he was, he was a guest on Rogan a bunch. And he has a podcast called the Drunken Taoist Podcast. And he has another one called History on Fire. So he has a history podcast. Well, he's a really cool guy. Um, the one podcast he talks about Taoism a lot. I mean, it's not like the only thing, but, you know, kind of like we're kind of libertarian. That's a kind of Taoist perspective podcast, but he's a cool dude. And he went on and on about it one time. It's like somebody told him, he, they were like, you know, you're so lucky. You, you, you study martial arts. You, you teach a class a little bit. He's a professor, but it's not like all his main thing. You do these podcasts. You, you write these books. Like you're living the dream. You know, you're so lucky. And he's like, luck had nothing to do with it. I put myself in this position intentionally and I worked my ass off for it and I'm still working my ass off for it. And at the end of the day, I might not even fully see it through. Like I might, I might only be able to have the energy to do these things for a few more years, for five more years. Like eventually I might just hang up the gloves, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I want to do. And it, it did nothing about luck. It's just about moving forward and whether or not you make it to the level you did in music, whether or not you never make it past the open mic or whether or not you become gigantic, that is not the only measure of, of success right. in your journey. You know, I never was a big enough stand up comic where I, would potentially be in the runnings to have some sort of special somewhere or go on a tour headlining clubs. Um, you know, but for me, I got to be, I got to be a sitting comic on the local radio station. I got to be on 98 rock a bunch. Like that was cool shit for me. I got to do this, but th is that making it? I mean, for what I wanted, I was more than happy to put enough energy into stand up to only get that out of it. Did I make enough money to make a living on it? Absolutely not. Not even close. I even produced shows where you were making money, but it's still, I would have had to do a lot more effort. And, and again, it's, you're not getting paid to do stand up. You're getting paid to put on shows. So that's a different business than what I necessarily wanted to do. But, but the, but like you said, it's, it's, you know, you, you got to do what you love to do. And People don't understand that who don't pursue their loves. They don't pursue their dreams. They just God, see it. They see it through the lens of whether it's the amount of money you make, mm -hmm. um, the status, you know, maybe you don't make a ton of money, but you're a doctor. Maybe, you, you know, or a lawyer or, or whatever the, the title is. Because something I've learned being blue collar, damn, there's a lot of successful blue collar guys. Yeah. Holy shit, I had no idea. Like my landscaping boss, he doesn't have multiple crews. He doesn't have a whole, like we do all the work, me and him. 
he has it going on. His boys are done private mm-hmm. school. He's got an amazing house. He had enough funds. So a, a few years ago, he opened up a gym that's just kind of like his retirement goal. He's just going to nice. own a gym and he's slowly building that business and he's got it going on. We, we, he has a great business and it's through landscaping, something you just don't think of as, you know, that guy might make more money than a lot of people who have master's degrees and, and, oh, and doctors. Does, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think people don't think about that too much either. It's the, um, you brought up a good point though about, you know, I think that people that, that really work hard and achieve some level of success, whatever that success may be, cause it's really, it's, it's really subjective. Um, you know, I, I think that those people don't let the haters bring them down. You know, like no yeah. matter what, cause listen, no matter what you do, if you ever put yourself out there, someone's always going to like have a reason to like come at you for something even. So just the other day I wrote an article about, um, you know, would it be, um, actually I'm trying to remember the, the title of it. It was something like, uh, could psychedelic medicine have helped DMX or something like that. The idea being that he struggled with addiction for like, 30 years. And there's a lot of really cool research being done right now with Ibogaine and, and psilocybin in terms of treating people with addiction. And there's really great um, anecdotal evidence right now. And, and some of it's going into phase one FDA trials. And, you know, it was basically, I wasn't saying that it would have saved his life. My point was, if we had this medicine out there available, available for people today, there are a lot of people who have addiction problems that could benefit from it. I mean, we know this based on some of the early evidence we've seen in Ibogaine studies and, and, and um, psilocybin studies. And this person, their, their comment was, this is stupid. Psychedelic <laughs> have saved his life. Okay. Hey, did you read the article? You know? And my response was simple. I'm like, and I, I responded to the guy. I said uh, something like, you know, um, you know, well, that was rude. What about it? What about the article? Didn't you like? And then I didn't hear anything back. Um, I mean, I will come, like if someone comes at me, like I, especially in this case, I want to start a dialogue because I'm very passionate about the idea that this could, this could be really important medicine. So I want to help get that information out there. In which case I will respond to that, that, that tweet, or I think it was a, a message from like a stock um, bulletin board or something, or a stock, yeah, a stock picks bulletin board. Um, but, you know, again, like you can't be dis, dis, just distracted you know, by people that are telling you what you're doing is wrong. Because if you do that, you'll never get anywhere. If you listen to everybody that tells you you're going to fail, then you're, you're going to fucking fail. No doubt about yeah, it. I, I think the, this goes back. I'm, I'm probably going to say this quote more than any quote uh, ever and an unnecessary amount, but it just comes back to not being able to see the forest for the trees. This person has a hang up with the suggestion that psychedelics could have possibly changed D- DMX's, uh, path and demise and an addiction leading to to death just because you suggest something i mean but what things are definitive i mean is chemotherapy a definitive cure for cancer is is surgery a definitive cure for back pain is anything definitive like that there's so so much probability and so much 
so much mild chance with things we hold stock in, but then we're going to criticize and damn and call something stupid like what you're saying that actually has a ton a ton of anecdotal evidence. And you know what? I think one of the least talked about anecdotal evidence uh, that comes down with psychedelics and, and addiction mm-hmm. is not only do I think people who turn their lives over to psychedelics for help with addiction, especially with that intention, not only do they usually get a great reward. I mean, even if 10% of the times it helped, uh, things like Ibogaine, it's probably a, a pretty high percentage. But, but even if you roll the dice and say, you know what? I want to just experience something spiritual. I'm going to have a large mushroom dose. I'm going to do, uh, go and do an ayahuasca ceremony, whatever you're going to do. A lot of people cure addiction this way. One time thing. They at least have a strong sense of, oh my God, I should not be doing this. Right. The thing that people don't even talk about is like, it's actually a lot of people who struggle with addictions that are afraid to face the mushroom experience, are afraid, like a lot of people who have issues with pills and drinking and all that, a lot of them are kind of scared of what's going to happen. It's like they already know they're about to face the fact that they're an addict and have to come to terms with it and try to come out on the other side. Yeah. Demons. So, so I think there's a lot of, of very good circumstantial anecdotal um, evidence out there on top of the evidence that has probably been a bit more ca- calculated and at least something that, that holds more obvious uh, scientific merit. There's already some, there's already some merit to psychedelics and being, that uh, scientifically or, or a more in a more proven method, a scientific method. But there's a lot when you really looked at when you really look into it, what, what a what a potential thing for somebody to say, oh, you know, you're being stupid. Like it totally dismisses everybody that's ever had their life changed from something like that, which is so common, so common. So many people say that, you know. Well, you know, what's stupid is the fact that addiction is not new. We've been dealing with this for decades and it's been getting worse and worse and worse as the years go on. What's stupid is we don't have any new or better treatments for addiction. You know, we have, you know, the 12 step programs, which I think have about a 30% success rate. And I'm not criticizing them because they've worked for a lot of people and that's awesome. And then you have like things like methadone and suboxone that are just like, well, you're just trading one addiction for another. You're not really fixing the problem. And then there's a company called Universal Ibogaine that has a clinic in Mexico because of course, in this country, we're not allowed to use it. So we have to travel to Mexico to get better, which, you know, again, is like another damning result of, you know, government interference and the war on drugs. But anyway, Universal Ibogaine, they've treated something like, um, I want to say like, uh, 1,500 people in the past 20 years at this clinic. And they have something like a 90% success rate. Whoa, that is insane. Because I thought 30% sounded pretty good. When you yeah. said it, yeah, that, I was like, you know, 30% is not bad. But that is insane. Yeah, it's um, fucking nuts. Or if you look at the, um, Hopkins did that, uh, the study in 2018 on smoking cessation and they used psilocybin therapy. It was a small, it was a small, um, it was a small group um, but after a year, a year later, 80% of the people had still not s- smoked. So it, it cured, at least for that first year, 80%. And again, the, so the, there's a medication that's FDA approved on the market now, again, has about a 30% success rate. And Hopkins showed on this first study an 80% success rate after the first year. 
I mean, yeah. Even again, even these are early studies. If I had an addiction that I thought was going to kill me, of course I would seek out something that has a that that could potentially save me. And the fact that the only way I can get that is to go through a, a, a controlled study that's approved by the government or leave the country. That is a slap in the face. You want to talk about you know being uh, unpatriotic? How unpatriotic is it to put up walls? so that people in this country, citizens who are struggling with addiction, can't get the help they need. That's one of the most unpatriotic things you can yeah. do. Compare that to saying, well, you have to sing the national anthem. Fuck you. That's bullshit. The, the Fired only, up, Mike. The only <laughs> thing, for people who don't realize too, the only thing that methadone is, is essentially a different name for heroin. It might as well, it's not the same drug, right? But, but as a matter of fact, a lot of people who have been addicted to both say methadone was harder to come off. That methadone was a, was a harder withdrawal was, was, was more difficult for them to quit people who have seen it through on the other side. So you basically are saying they might as well just be regulating heroin and saying, hey, if you're a heroin addict, instead of going out there and potentially shooting something you didn't in, in shoot, you getting fentanyl, instead of messing up your veins, doing your own injections and all this, you, instead of just going off the deep end and doing way too much, you're allotted a daily dose. Maybe you come by a few times, you get your fix, you go. That's essentially what they're doing. They might as well just do it with heroin at that point. It really makes no different whether or not it's methadone. So that is a viable option. Meanwhile, there's almost no recreational merit to this Ibogaine. There's almost no, so much so that psychonauts. Fun. <laughs> yeah, like, like a psychonaut, somebody like me who would like the notion, like I enjoy the idea of going through the experience. You would have to really convince me that I needed this Ibogaine experience for me to do it. And I'm somebody who would like to see something like that through. I'm a glutton for the idea of it going through the experience of what, what might be this potentially beneficial thing, but it's, it's essentially nearly or about 24 hours of an intense experience and it's not overly feel good. It's kind of difficult. You go through a lot of abstract feelings and, and visuals and it's intense and it, it's kind of like a purge of, of, of negative past things that seem to revolve around addictive personalities. It seems to be, I don't know many other benefits of Ibogaine, but it really seems like if it's not for addiction, don't do it. Right. Well, the, what a positive thing. The thing about Ibogaine is what it really does is it allows you to detox without going through withdrawals. That's the main thing it does. So when you get done uh, Ibogaine treatment, <clears throat> you no longer have that chemical dependence on whatever it was you were you were addicted to. Now, Ibogaine doesn't work for anything. There's some, there's some um, drugs that it doesn't work with. I don't know which ones they are. I forgot, but um, it's not for everything. And, you know, if not done, you have to do it in a safe place because it, there are um, risks. Um, there are some heart risks to doing Ibogaine. If you're not in a, in a certain, I don't know, a doctor yeah. has to, like, if you go down to this clinic in Mexico, you can't just show up. Like, you have to take a physical, you have to meet with the doctor to make sure that you, you, nothing bad's going to happen to you if you take it. Yeah, um, but the idea being that it gets it gets the detox part done. Now that doesn't mean you're always going to be cured. You can go back. Whatever brought you to addiction, 
that could bring you back to addiction. You could go back to your, your community and see your buddies shooting up and be like, man, I used to have fun doing that. And then you just do it once and you're hooked again. So it's right. not a cure-all, but the idea that it has been dismissed for so long when we really, nothing else really works that well, if at all. Um, why would you not consider that? Yeah. And, and the other potential side of it is whether or not there's this physical side that allows you to not experience the withdrawal. There's also a psychological side to it where you, you heavily see the other side of addiction typically in these experiences, even like, you know, a, a large mushroom dose might psychologically change your view on your own addictions to the point where, Yes, you could get back to it. Yes, you could, whether it's peer pressure, influence, environment, negative situations in life, just the person that you are. It, there are other reasons, though, that, that, that psychedelics might be a stronger permanent effect or have a better chance of you not succumbing to these sorts of things due to the way that it psychologically changes you um, outside of just going through the physical withdrawal. Or, or skipping that process. I mean, it is a psychologically, it could really align you with the person that you feel like you should be being. Um, not to go too, you know, just keep to, to go too deep in the psychedelic thing, but it's like, if you know that you're juggling with this addiction and you're not facing it, you have now faced it full bore when you enter the psychedelic headspace yeah. and you, you're no longer divided between the person that you think you should be in the, you decide to be the person that you've been on the inside this whole time, telling yourself not to do it anymore. Or you know, you should quit or maybe next week or whatever, you know, you keep pushing it off. And I think you know. that one of the, so my experience was my experiences with psychedelics are, are limited. I have not done them a lot, but I've done them enough to know the experiences. And one thing I can always say about psilocybin is, um, I always feel like it's helped me become a more truthful person. Not that I go around lying to people, but my, um, sometimes I don't say things as a, you know, like instead of like piping up, you know, I just don't say anything. Cause I, maybe I don't want the confrontation or something. Whereas like after maybe like I do, um, you know, a few months of, of microdoses or maybe I just had a really great, like one day I just took, you know, five grams or whatever. And I just had a really great journey. Um, I noticed something in my, in my brain in that my, you know, it's almost like when I want to tell the truth about something, I always stop myself first before I say anything or before I write anything. And when I do that, it's like that border is gone. And it's not in a way that I would say anything mean or disrespectful. It's just, and it could just be about myself, like being truthful about myself, about something that I'm doing. It's just like my, my go-to is typically to beat around the bush of truth. Yeah. I, I know when I'm microdosing or if I after maybe, and this will last for months after I have a, a, a you know, a psilocybin journey, um, that I'm, I'm into that truth mode, you know? Yeah. And um, boy, it feels fucking good, man. It feels great. Uh, what better feeling? You're not at turmoil. You're not divided. You're not, you're not caught up being the projection and the person separately. It's all one thing. It's just, you are your, you, there's no facade. It, it comes back to that. Like when people are speaking in a cadence, when they're being inauthentic, when they're running things through that filter of trying to 
appease the people that they're talking to or for, it immediately makes it, you know, disingenuous. It Im immediately adds that. Now you can say that there are times to have white lies. You can say that there are times where it makes sense to be this way, but at the end of the day, it feels really good to be comfortable not being that way. And it's one thing to flip the switch on when you have to, Oh, I'm around grandpa or, Oh, I'm around this, you know, I'm going to bite my tongue. I'm not going to try and be confrontational with this person or there's no getting through to this person. I'm just going to, whatever I've tried, I've been down that road, but you are doing it out of, you are satisfied with your decision and you are satisfied with your sense of self when you're carrying it that way, as opposed to more so getting caught up in just running everything through that filter. You catch yourself on a date and you might want to, you know, uh, just, I, I mean, I, for me, it's, I have to remember the way I was when I was younger, when you inevitably want to do that. Like you want to impress your older brother. So you lie and say you kick some kid's ass who shoved you and punched you, you know, or, or whatever. You, you make up a lot of stories. You pretend you've been with more girls you've been with. You pretend these sorts of things. You lie about all sorts of things. And, and you don't realize how many people still lie about those things. Mm -hmm. I, don't have, I don't have many of those things anymore. I've really tried to come to terms with a lot of the things that maybe, especially from my youth insecurities that I continued lying about into my 20s. Mm -hmm. I, I like, I've done a really good job of just not doing that. And I would say psychedelics helped me. That was like a big final hurdle in that. And then to face my insecurities more directly, I used to be severely overweight. I went the route where I no longer had to be insecure. I no longer wanted to wear like a tight shirt under a baggy shirt or do all of these little tricks. Uh, you know, whatever. You see it like uh, people who make a dating profile, they want to post a picture that makes them look thinner than they are. Right, right. Yeah, they, they feel uncomfortable about that. That's, a, that's uncomfortable to know that people are looking at you and you know they're looking at a thing that's going to give them the wrong impression of you and they're going to have to fight. That's already a level of anxiety to process. Just knowing that you put out photos that make you look better than you actually look. Right. You're make running everything through a filter and you're covering it up and you're whitening your teeth and smoothing out all your blemishes and making yourself right. look like a deer. <laughs> or, you know, like, I mean, you know, that is a level of, there is a level of weight that you are carrying by making those decisions that, that we don't have to carry. And it feels good to not carry it. It feels good to just be you and to just be honest and, and try to be considerate. And, and yeah, it's not as simple as just not lying. You know, it's not as simple as that. There's gray area. Every, there's gray area with everything. Balance is so crucial, but, but it feels so good to not have to have these insecurities or ego issues where we need to rely on deceit or we just decide to manipulate others. We just decide to be manipulative for our own gain. And that's you know? just a common thing. I mean, we just so common. It's almost ingrained, especially in, in work life, you know, because you always want to put yourself in a situation where people, think that like, oh, they need me as opposed to being like, well, maybe they, maybe they need you because you're good at what you do. It's very, and I, I struggle with that too. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time with, as working as a financial analyst and I've done very well. I made a lot of people a lot of money and every single day I struggle with if I you know, made a recommendation that stock is down or, am, you know, I don't have a, 
a degree in finance? Am I, am I imposter? You know, that whole imposter syndrome. I, I do struggle with that. I'd be lying if I say I didn't. Interestingly, though, when you talk about the dating profiles, so I, I'm, you know, uh, my, my wife and I have recently separated and, and um, we're great and we get along great. But at some point, I'm going to want to start dating again. And I think I'm going to go on a dating site, but I'm going to take the ugliest pictures of myself. Like, nice. like right after I work out, just my face, my hair all disheveled and like all gross. And um, just like the ugliest pictures I can find. And that way, like when I meet the woman in person, she'd be like, oh, you look really good. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you set the bar low, you'll be That fine. is the way to go. You're going to be so confident knowing that they're into the version of you that you just projected. <laughs> like I remember one time I have one of those apps. Like I actually had a, had a really great uh, relationship that we met on a, on a dating app. So I just don't have the time and energy for them all the time. And sometimes it's nice meeting people in your own whatever, but like, I think it's a great idea. I, I don't think it's silly. I think it's an awesome way to interact with people and meet people, but, but it's so nice to do that. But I like to, to give out a little bit of the insecurity. Like I'm awkward when I first meet somebody and like, I don't like make the first move. Well, I get nervous about like not wanting to make somebody uncomfortable. And if they don't let me know, obviously that they're into me, it's like, Oh, well, I don't know how this is going. And what do I do? Do we like small talk? Do we just go or do we go really deep into something? Do we just, oh, it's tough, man. I overthink it. You know, of course, everyone would say, oh, that's just classic overthinking, but I really take it far. So I just say something that I feel pretty confident on. Well, I know that's the hardest phase of talking to me. So my, my, my dating profile says, if you can get past the extremely awkward part, I'll probably surprise the hell out of you. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That you know, good. It's going to be a little awkward. It's going to be a little weird at first, but once you get past that, I'm going to, I'm going to probably be shockingly smooth or good. Once we know that we're good and like each other. Other. Once we both know there's chemistry, once we've both, the I'm like that first time of everything is always a little awkward. Right. But if you address the elephant in the room, it's no longer the case. You, sometimes you know? just saying stupid, like just being awkward or even, not even being awkward, but just, um, I have a weird sense of humor that doesn't really work with a lot of women. You know, they're trying yeah. to up by it. So I try to use that sense of humor early on to gauge whether or not they're going to be into me. Because if a woman thinks that like I have a really horrible sense of humor, it's not going to work. Yeah. It's just not, I know. And I accept that. Um, but I did, I'll never forget this being on the road. We were, and I, it was in, it was in Minnesota. We played this, we played the show. And after the show, there was um, in the, in the green room, there are a lot of people there. We were playing with nothing face at the time. So there's a lot of people. there. Oh, yeah. And um, I remember I was talking to this woman who was like, you know, kind of cute. And I was talking to her and she's kind of digging me, you know, like I, I felt like I was getting a vibe from her. I was like, cool. So I said to her, I said, hey, listen, do you want to go back to your place and listen to records and not make out? Like, just joking. Yeah, like, oh. yeah. And she just started busting out laughing. She's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, we went back to her place. And, and we did make out and did listen to records. And it was fun. But like, I guess it yep. was kind of like, that, that is not a line that would typically work, you know, with anyone who would have a sense of humor that isn't aligned with mine. But the fact that she thought that was funny and kind of stupid, like, you know what I mean? Like, right. it made, as soon as that happened, it was like, it, it made life so much easier for the rest of the time I was with her because it's like, oh, I don't have to do anything anymore. Like I don't have to hide who I am, you know? Exactly. It, it, no, you're, you're right. There's a, there's a comedian. He's kind of a local comic, but he does do like national stuff. And he does like a lot of like stuff overseas when they, they send comics out to, to 
you know, I don't know, they do a lot of that kind of stuff over, for overseas for like troops and stuff. But regardless, he has a joke about how, his name's Rob Mayer. He has a joke about how he tells women that he has a, a, a small penis. You know, because it's like, if they're willing, you know, then they start thinking about it. I'm like, I wonder if he really does. So like, do you really have a small, you know, he's like, well, I don't want to talk about it too much, whatever. Next thing you know, he's like, he said, that was the greatest, the greatest, like, uh, strategy for getting what this isn't the, he actually has funny punchlines with it, but right, the right. whole point of it wasn't, and I've had a conversation. He goes, no, dude, when I tell you I am being dead serious, I started saying that because I mean, I don't know. It was just got the ball rolling and not every girl, but he's like, I would be talking to girls and I would say it and you wouldn't believe how many would like get my number would like, like go out of their way to throw themselves on me <laughs> after that. And he, and he's like, you know, I just, figured I can't disappoint them at that. I mean, that side of it's not going to disappoint them. And he was like, to be honest, it's average. You don't know, no. he's, like, he's like, so it's like, yeah, you're a little better than what you say. It's just like you, you post the pictures that are a little ugly, uglier right. than you are or, or whatever. And, and, you know, you said the thing about making out and it's such a lighthearted joke that it's right. not creepy. You're not like saying anything too insane, you know, and it's that, that reverse of it. So instead of being the creeper, you're almost intentionally not like similarly, it's funny to tell, tell a girl and be like, look, I'm not just looking for a hookup. I don't just like, I don't want to be treated like a sex object <laughs> <laughs> to turn the tables because all girls are used to guys who do that. Right, so just right. turning the tables a little bit, it's like, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not just looking for anything meaningless. I'm tired of girls just constantly seeing me as this object to say, it's funny, but that kind of stuff does work and it addresses certain insecurities and it, it addresses elephants in the room and it makes it easier. I don't know. It's cool to be honest about things like that in a quirky, funny way. And yeah, you're right. It, it's nice to do it. What brings us together better than laughter? When you meet somebody who doesn't speak English very well, what can you share together that is just inevitable? You guys can make each other laugh just by the way you look at each other, just by the, the facial expressions, just, just, just being in the room, witnessing something funny. It's, there's nothing like laughing with somebody. Or you, or you could just listen to her talk about how her grandfather worked for the Nazis, then you can use it for a punchline as a joke for, for the girl later that you, that you hook up with, mostly just to get on her nerves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, dude, it's, oh man, it's, it's weird that we need to c come up with these sort of psychological strategies or ways of being to curb these insecurities and hangups that we all have or, or bizarre sorts of manipulative patterns and addictions and things that we hide. Like we talked about in the, the, the one episode about like people who, how, how, like what percentage of people probably carry these demons that are like extreme perversions. Yeah. So much so that all of the porn we watch is, is perverted in some way in incest, in this. It's like, man, what percentage of people are carrying insane stuff on the inside? And not that, I don't know what would happen about being honest with that, but like, hey, what do they say? What's the first step in, in 12 steps? Admitting you have a problem. Oh, is that what? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure that's the first step is you have to admit you have a problem. Right. And yeah, man, getting things out there, saying these things that you bottle in makes you come to terms with it in a more objective way. So you know? basically the, 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 
the moral of the story is if you want to um, impress the ladies, just do a lot of psychedelics yes. and, and uh, then you'll, you'll, be, uh, you'll be good to go. Yeah, I think the <laughs> trick is to be on the other side of it though too. Mm-hmm. Like I think the best trick is to be like, yeah, I don't do that stuff anymore, but I used to do a lot of, you know, like that. Then <laughs> girls are like, they think it's cool. They don't want to know like, yeah, yesterday or yeah, this upcoming weekend, I think I'm going to drip with my buddies. They're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Visit the other plane, come back and then meet women. You'll be, uh, no, it's, it's interesting. You definitely understand the way people think more. You understand the way you think more and you probably come up with more creative strategies of how to be yourself and mingle and not be so damned uncomfortable and succumb to dishonesty, you know? Yeah. Cause it's easy to fall into that. Like we said, it's easy to fall into that trap of being dishonest because so many people and, and including myself, you know, it, it's easier sometimes to be dishonest with people than it is to be honest, especially when you first meet them. Cause if you're yeah. trying to impress somebody and I, like I said, I mean, I'm kind of at a point in my life where, and I'm not trying to really impress anybody. Like I, I feel pretty confident in like the things I've accomplished in my life. There are other things I want to accomplish in my life and hopefully I get to them. Um, but in terms of like meeting women, it's like that I don't have the energy anymore. Like I did when I was in my early twenties to like put on a show, you know, it's like, right. it's, you know, I'm old, you yeah. know, when I scratch my balls, it looks like I'm scratching my ankle. <clears throat> what happens when you get old you know yeah hey you know it's uh this is this has been a great uh kind of libertarian kind <laughs> kind of dating for people on the spectrum we're, so we're basically gonna, <laughs> yeah. we're gonna we're gonna end it on scratching my balls near my yeah ankle. <laughs> down by your ankle yes <laughs> i did that to, using your balls to scratch your foot <laughs> I, did, I, did. <laughs> I actually was joking with this woman when i was at a party and there was this woman there and i was itching my itching my uh, my ankle and I kept itching it and she goes what are you doing I said my balls itch <laughs> and, and everyone laughed except her and she was like oh and she like walked away I was like oh well, I, I guess I guess we're not gonna hang out I, <laughs> oh, that is so good I need to remember that one store that one you're still young though you don't have to worry about that yet I know but I can make jokes yeah <laughs> I need to prepare <laughs> <laughs> all right well cool that was a great podcast yet again kind of libertarian kind of funny i think yeah definitely well look at this and like you're not funny you're not a comedian stop it but i don't care because i'm yeah. gonna do what makes me feel good i'm gonna be honest mm-hmm. if i think i'm funny that's good enough for me and my mom will always tell me i'm funny anyway if i ask her so they can't all be zingers you know that's true a lot of netflix specials are unfunny so what we don't have we don't have to we don't have to be that funny but we're pretty funny funny enough funny enough to get by yep Damn this! Mm. <laughs> I think thank God I didn't cough chronically. You ever get like the itch in your throat? That's like my nightmare for performing is to get that itch. Suck a dick. That's that's it right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. All right. This has been another episode of Kind of Libertarian. <laughs> be well. Be safe. Be free. Yes. Bye. <laughs>